moving off the couch is quite scary in a lot of places, right? Whatever is the couch, it is comfortable. <laughs> it's that that really good squishy couch that you can put your feet on. Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment and rate it and join the other leading listeners who have left a comment. I'm thrilled to bring you a conversation about the vulnerability of change. I have the pleasure of introducing you to Dr. Christy Phillips. She's the co-author of Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Dr. Phillips is Franklin Covey's Director of Learning, Development, and Inclusion, and a pioneering voice in change leadership. She and I speak about change on a very personal level, how to understand what happens when you're trying to change from an emotional and brain science perspective. Change is a very personal conversation. I wish you the best as you set out on your journey to change something in your personal or career life. Meet Dr. Christy Phillips. Enjoy. Oh, I'm so excited, Timothy Maurice. Thanks for, for letting me hang out with you for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Where did you do your PhD work? Uh, at the Texas A&M University in Bryan College Station. Um, Lovely. That where I, that's where I finished my uh, doctorate in HR. So before we dive into our conversation about change and getting to know a little bit more about you, I have a feature called Inside Your Mind, where I'm going to ask you seven questions to go inside your mind, to get to know you a little bit better, to introduce you to our listeners. Can we do that? We can do that. Yes. Number one, here we go. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've spent the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years reading nonfiction. It is what my brain wants to read. And I find nonfiction difficult to get into now, only because of having read lots of peer-reviewed journals, and that's just what my brain wants to digest anymore. Okay. Salt or pepper? Pepper all day, every day. Never (laughs) have enough. (laughs) The beginning or end? The end. We must finish. We must finish. (laughs) I love it. You have three co-authors. Curtis, Marche, mm-hmm. Andy. Okay. Yeah. You have to choose one. Oh. <laughs> For the same scenario, I'm going to pick. Oh. Wow, Timothy. You know, I'm going to pick Andy. Um, okay. Yeah. Andy is somewhere between a corporate savant and a free spirit. And I'm not sure how you put all of that in a single package, but somebody (laughs) did. (laughs) And it is Andy. Um, And so, yeah, Andy. Okay. Spinach or 
asparagus. Hmm. Now I watch a whole lot of Popeye's cartoons, so spinach. <laughs> All right. Number six, Vice President Kamala Harris or Michelle Obama? Hmm. Questions. Great. <laughs> I'm going to go with Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, because she is still making her way. And that isn't easy. And it's really not easy to do it in a public space. I We saw Michelle Obama do it with great grace. And I wish the same thing for Kamala Harris. Wow, you are incredible. Finally, consistency or change? Oh, change. Um, consistency would be my choice because you, it really helps me get through change, but embracing change and letting change be okay. It's gotta, it's gotta be my number one. Well, Christy, thank you so much for allowing us to go inside your mind. I have to admit, I've done a lot of these, but I did put some tough questions out for you, but you handled them with grace. Thank you so, so much. Uh, congrats on this book. Um, I got a chance to, your team sent me a copy and I really, really enjoyed it. I think the diversity of voices was was interesting for me. Sometimes I don't like books like this, to be honest with you. But I found that, do you guys all know each other? We do. We all know each other and we all like each other. We haven't always known each other. Um, and I actually agree with you. When they invited me to the authorship space, I said, why do we need four authors? <laughs> Three would be beautiful. Um, you've spoken with Scott before. He said we were, we're, we're doing four. So we have four. Um, but we do like each other. And, and I have deep respect for my co-authors. Yeah, I think it comes through. You know, I mean, prior to directing learning development with Franklin Cubley, you know, you did some similar work for a business school and a hospital. Which of these environments has taught you the most about humans and how we function? I would say the hospital, um, because you know that expression that we use in work where we say, well, it's not life and death. Well, in a hospital, it kind of is. And this makes even the learning and development and the work of shifting an organization, even that much more critical because the goal is for nurses and physicians and patient care assistants and um, environmental services friends to shift and understand how their work can be better. Um, and so I, I learned a lot about how do we do that in a healthcare setting. Before writing this book, had you spent a lot of time researching and working on the, the subject change? Oh, yes. I am jazzed by this topic. Why? Um, because there's so much to grab around it. So my background includes being both a formal and an informal change agent, which I talk about a little bit. In a formal setting, people you know, want me to work with a project management team and figure out how do we make big organizational changes or how do I move my team from 
being one that kind of complains all the time to one that interacts a little bit more better, better. Um, or, and then informally, um, my parents moved us around the country, around the world a lot when I was younger. So just getting used to different things and embracing the fact that next week, something's going to be different. You're going to live in another country. You're going to be in another place and you're going to be okay. Um, is just something that I've always had to, to think about and just embrace really just find it fine. You know, I, it'd be interesting. I think I'd like for you to push back on, on an idea that I have a bit or wrestle with me a little bit. I believe that change, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a huge tax the brain has placed on it when it's trying to change. There's a lot of energy required. Many could argue that it's just easier not to change. And that if you were to map and do a bit of game theory and look at whether it's a community, an organization, there are a lot of organizations that have done fairly well by not changing. Yes, there are some that became obsolete. There's a lot of humans and leaders that have done fairly well. Why not take the risk and take the easier route and just not change? So you're right in that change does take a lot in our brain, right? You get dissonance, the brain goes, ooh, I don't have a neural pathway for this thing you presented me with. Stop with the crazy. I don't want to participate. I'm just going to do something else called quit or just leave. Well, I'm not going to join in. So the easier thing to do is to let your brain say, I don't know how to do that new thing. And and I'm not going to do that new thing. Um, I don't know that I would say that there's anything wrong with that, right? It's because it's not about a right and wrong. Um, but when you put change in the context of evolution, if you don't change, you kind of perish. <laughs> so that goes kind of hand in hand with this idea of adaptability. And our biology says stuff's going to change. You can change with it or you can perish. And to your point about organizations and people being just fine, not changing, I would say uh, to what extent? You've already said there's companies that perish for lack of change. There's leaders that perish for lack of change. If we don't change, if we let, if we embrace the easy road, then we get to live a life that, that maybe isn't inconvenient right now, but the price that you pay later on is, is never as far off as we think. Yeah. You know, I think like you moving in different parts of the world and in the middle of changing, it's frustrating. It's hard, but I think that I, I don't know. I, I feel like, the upsides are just so exhilarating and and extraordinary, right? Like, yeah. do you have a moment? Do you have a moment in your life where you resist change but eventually gave in, and you look back now and and it's just like the best thing that ever happened to you? So when I was in the third grade, my parents decided that my brother, my sister, and I and the both of them would move from Texas um, to the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was Zaire at the time. 
and they were going to build houses for a very well-known international organization that built houses around the world. And they said, so we're going to move. And first, we're going to live in France for a while to, while we learn the language, and then we're going to move. And, oh, you, you can imagine um, young American, slightly entitled kids who watch TV all day, um, trying to figure out what was supposed to happen in Africa. And probably the single seminal event of not just of my life, but the actual behavior and interaction of our family um, really shifted, not just because we moved to Africa, but because in the process of moving to the Democratic Republic of Congo, we went through five different change experiences, but we got to see each other change. And we got to learn how each other experienced Zaire in a different way. And we came back from that as young people and then as adults, understanding that your paradigm, my paradigm that I had taken with me to Africa wasn't the only one. It certainly wasn't the, the best one or a great one, but to have it completely broken down and dismantled and something far more engaging put in place was like, oh, the world is a phenomenal place. You should go see it, even if you don't know what's there. Do you still speak French? Un tout petit peu. Ah, lovely, yeah. lovely. How long did you guys stay there? Uh, we lived in France at that time for six months while my parents were in language school. We were in the south central part of France. If you can say that France has a south central part. Amazing. It was wonderful. And, and, and then Congo, how long there? Uh, we were there for three years um, in the night in the early 1980s and then we went back in 1989 and 90 so i also spent some of my teenage years there we went back again oh wow you know it's interesting how much environments are changing us without us realizing and maybe that's the point of this conversation is that the more we study the brain and all of us study i mean you know you probably you know this better than me that if you're in a hospital and you're a leader, if you are in a business school, you're an executive or in the many hundreds, maybe thousands of organizations you guys have worked with at Franklin Covey, those ecosystems are changing whether you want them to or not, right? And I think maybe there is an argument to be made that there is no such thing as not changing. It's the question of whether or not you are intentionally involved in it or not. How much of what's happening to you do you think we are aware of? Well, I would say that how much of, I'm going to repeat the question, how much of what's happening to us are we aware of? I think that is an individualized question. And by individual, I mean you as a person, us as a group of people, us as a country, us as a company. Groups of people get to decide how much organizational, situational awareness we've developed or we choose to engage in. And the higher your engagement level about your awareness, the more you understand, oh, there are millions of data points coming at me that I could choose to interact with that I might actually be aware of. And the more awareness you gain, you then also know that there's probably also an equal number that I'm choosing either that I either don't know or that I'm choosing not to engage with. Um, I don't know if I could quantify yeah. 
the amount of change that is happening. Um, you know what? You know what made me ask that question is I'm, I, I didn't plan to ask this question. By the way, it was when you mentioned being in the third grade and going through all of that change. It's just no way for you to be really that actively involved with how much Zaire is changing you. And I'm thinking about a friend of mine just entered a new relationship and that, that relationship is going to alter them quite dramatically. And whether you start a new position or you get promoted, you, it's hard to know how much of the circumstance, the environment, the entire ecosystem is changing us. And it just became sort of a philosophical moment. Can we stay here for one second? Can we stay on this for one moment? And so, you know, if we were to kind of build a model out about thinking and grappling through, you said it best, there's no way to put, put a percentage on it, right? But I do think there is a percentage that, of change that's going to be happening to us no matter what, right? And there are some areas of control you do have, which is why you guys wrote this book. (laughs) That's right. Those areas that you can find and control, find them and manage them. Got it. All right, cool. So let's try to identify the areas quickly that we don't have much control over. Mm -hmm. Um. Change that you didn't invite. So my parents decide to move us to Africa. Parents are moving you. That's going to happen. Organizational leader says we're adopting a new system, process, program. Things are changing. So percentage wise, I don't know, maybe as much as 50%, maybe even more of things that you didn't invite or didn't encourage that show up in our environment. I'm not basing that on any real data. Yeah, yeah. But how do you not get lost in all of this? If half of what you're trying to do is out of your control, how do you not get lost? I'm reading your book. By the way, guys, you've got to get this book. It's one of, it has so many, it's, it's what I enjoyed about the book is the, the marriage between theory and practice. I mean, you guys manage this balance really, really well. How do you not get lost? Because I hear and I see every single day people are experiencing. I got a friend of mine right now that she and a group of her colleagues just left this organization because they found out that the chairman, the leader, is just really creepy and and doing some really uncomfortable stuff. And they all just kind of left. There's no way she didn't see that coming or anything. How do you not drown in the middle of all of this? Yeah, that's that's fair. And kudos to your friends who made such a big decision to, to do something like that. So let's take it in, in baby chunks. I think that you have to get real with it and go, okay, my life looks different. I'm choosing a different, I, I'm choosing to leave an organization. And the thing I think that we talk about really well in the book is the importance of the dialogue around change. And in this instance, Timothy, I think it's important to say sometimes the dialogue is with yourself and sometimes it's with your partner or it's with your department or it's with your organization. And the question is for you to kind of get real with yourself around what's changing. Why is it changing? 
How do I feel about the change? And those questions do the thing that we know questions do best, which is engage your higher brain. Well, you may not know the answer. It will engage your higher brain. The questions will engage your, your higher thinking brain to go, well, at least let me consider what the answers are. And that process will automatically slow you down. And so in order to not get lost, we have to figure out, even in fast change, how to slow down enough to ask ourselves questions that let our brain go, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I could come up with, why did I leave this company? Well, I didn't want to be with a creepy boss. <laughs> Good. None of us mm. want to be with a creepy boss. Why did I make that change? Okay. That's, that's okay. Am I okay with this change? Yeah. Nope. I'm satisfied. I mean, I'm scared, but I'm satisfied that I made this change. Oh, I'm scared uh, that I made this change, or I don't know what's next. Okay. That might be something I, maybe I need to talk with someone. Maybe I need to connect with a friend. Maybe I need to, to get my bearings around what's next, but you've kind of narrowed what was big and nebulous into I'm scared and I should figure out what's next. I think your question is really important because change is always happening. It is the degree to which we are choosing or capable of processing how we feel about what the heck is happening and manage those emotions, which are sometimes big, and think about what's next. You know, I when I was in um, business school, I read Keegan and Leahy's work around the immunity to change. Mm-hmm. And the idea around competition. So if I'm, if I want to lose weight, but I am enjoying the couch and watching TV, we often underestimate how beautiful the couch is and how much joy we're getting from the couch and how the couch is competing with our desire to lose weight and to underestimate that competition is often one of the reasons why people don't change, right? And, you know, when you think about some other immunities to change, you know, what are some that you have noticed in your work around the world? One of the things I like about you guys as Franklin Covey is that whether it's in offices in Africa, Asia, America, you guys have global perspective like very few others. What are some of your observations about what keeps us from changing? Yeah, that that love of the couch that you've mentioned is kind of true for everyone. And it's kind of also physics, right? Objects that are at rest tend to stay at rest unless they're acted upon by an outside force. That's the couch. In our model, it's the status quo. Your brain is like, I got it. These things are good. If nothing changes, life is grand. Not looking for change. Don't make me change. We see that in every instance where people are struggling with the ability to move from the status quo, from the couch, which I think is my new favorite metaphor for the status quo, we one, it can be difficult to imagine. If I leave the couch, I really don't know what I'm going to get. And so creating the vision that I want to lose weight isn't enough to actually make me leave the couch to your point about about um competition and and what it's doing to to how we think about making change. The comfort that we get from the status quo, we see it maybe in slightly different examples around the world, but um, it might look like a, a lack of willingness to embrace new thinking. So in the United States, we're, you know, 
on the fence, kind of going back and forth with what we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. In other places, that conversation isn't happening. It's a different kind of conversation. We're talking about how do we appreciate or look at um, an aging population? How do we appreciate our elderly? Or how do we figure out what to do with the amount of violence that we're seeing in our society? Or in the case of France, a current issue is, you know, we're seeing challenges that we've said are decades old, and now we're, we want to act and react to them. These are organizations of really countries, societies thinking about moving off of the couch. Moving off the couch is quite scary in a lot of places, right? Whatever is the couch, it is comfortable. <laughs> it's, that, it's that really good squishy couch that you can put your feet on. So I don't know if I'm doing a good job of answering the question, but any place where we see some of that dissonance, where we see some inability to figure out how do we rub along together is where people are still trying to figure out how do I make change around this issue? Um, how is that as a, as a response? I'm not sure I'm quite getting that, but I hope to. No, you, what you're doing a really good job of is really helping us frame where some of the resistance is and contextualizing it, which is very, very helpful. And I think for me, part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is, again, what you guys did with your book is you helped us understand status quo. You helped us understand the full breadth of the dynamic around change. And for me, that was really, really helpful. Sometimes this type of work often, for me, is too narrow. Like I believe in the instinct. I feel like humans are instinctively intelligent. And sometimes we don't speak to that intelligence, right? We kind of speak around people or we undermine people. I feel like you spoke to us in this book. And, you know, I think for me, when I think about the ways we self-sabotage, you know, I, I, you know, having done this podcast nine years, you know, when I get feedback and so forth, some of the questions I often get is why do we continue to self-sabotage when, you know, what do you see, what do you see as some of the reasons people continue to self-sabotage? They go, I want to change. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But then boom, like what are some of the things that you think the reasons why we do that? And then how do we keep ourselves from doing that so often? So we talk about that predictable pattern of change that you're in the status quo, you're on the sofa. And then in our book, we talk about the um, this river routine and, and we use in the parable of a boat and its cat and its crew with its captain falling over a river, a waterfall to into what has changed, whether it's invited or uninvited, planned or unplanned. The inevitability of change is something that we think is the case and just how you know dramatic the change is for you kind of depends on the individual and circumstances. The self-sabotage comes with a couple of things, I would say. One is, uh, I mentioned it before, but it's clarity about what it is that you want on the other side of that change. And that can be more challenging than people imagine. So in our example here, that's really wonderful. I want to lose weight, but I'm not really willing to get off the couch or stop watching TV or stop eating these potato chips um, because it doesn't outweigh what I think I want to do now. I want to do something, but also the effort, right? So 
This is something else that I think I heard maybe Mark Cuban say, the effort that's needed to actually create change is often underestimated. And so we've got to, as human beings, as groups of people, probably often put in a little bit more effort or sometimes a lot more effort than we imagine in order to get over the hump of change. Um, there's been some research kind of on uh, on how you actually have to, how much more effort it takes to, to get past the status quo, which I think is what one of the things that's going on here. So we recommend one really critical thing. One, know that the change pattern, falling off the waterfall, making a decision, and then moving through adoption and into innovation is the pattern. That's that's the pattern. Whether or not you do the pattern, that's the pattern. You know it now, and you don't have to be surprised by it. So at some point, um, we've got to decide, and that's kind of at the bottom of our model, the decision point is where you decide, okay, I'm going to do something about it. And then, oddly enough, you struggle your way into adoption and through and into innovation. And I say struggle because it's not straightforward. The conversations with yourself, so the dialogue around understanding where you are, creating a vision for yourself, for others, and then persisting into that that income that outcome is how we combat self-sabotage. I don't know if we can completely stop it, but to combat self-sabotage requires persistence and persistence requires effort. And this is where the couch looks really good. <laughs> um, and that's why we also have to give ourselves a whole lot of grace. So while we need a lot of effort, um, sometimes it has to be okay to be on the couch. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely love that. Have you ever set out to change something and you failed? Oh, where do I start? Um, yes. When I started my dissertation, I, it took me 10 years, Timothy, 10, literally one zero, 10 years. And when I set out, I set out to finish it in five years. This was uh, what, what felt like a reasonable goal. I was working at the time. It was fine. I failed at that miserably, and it took twice as long. And the reason that I say that I failed is because I failed at that. I failed at the finish in five years. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't finish. It just means that the goal that I had set didn't work. I had to readjust, which was fine. But I absolutely cratered um, at year five because years six through 10 happened before I actually finished. What that failure taught me about change is that when this kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of persistence, the the failure of the to make the effort to to make the change effort to be clear here is it may not work in the exact time that you want it to work. This is also a different thing to process, right? We tend to work in a very, you know, deadline driven sort of society. That's like, this gets done by quarter three, this gets done by quarter four. And every 90 days we're trying to assess what's different um, about the organization. That's hard. Back to your point about failure. If I hadn't failed, one, I probably wouldn't have understood that I can persist here or I can quit. Um, meaning it, it can be okay to reassess and, and decide not to go forward. But yeah, I did. I did. I failed at finishing five. I had to reassess. 
I appreciate you sharing that because I, you know, I'm learning to just be a lot more vulnerable um, uh, on this on this podcast. I, I've also failed recently in a deadline I have for my book, and um, I think when you, people like you and I in this leadership space are more vulnerable, we give permission to people to want to read further in your book. Right? It's like if you. Dr. Christy Phillips, (laughs) who's taught all over the world and lived all over the world and been so successful can be that honest. I, I, it means more to me than you, than you know. So thank you very, very much. I want to, I really want people to read this book. So I, I would like us to kind of move to the sort of final question, which is if somebody says to you, they got a chance to have a one-on-one with you. Let's say they won some sort of contest and they got a chance to spend some time with Dr. Christy Phillips. Do What would you say to them to start gearing their mind up? They're waiting for the book. They've ordered it. It's on the way. What are they? How should they start gearing their mind up for change? You know, I would answer that question a little differently. If they're waiting for the book, I would tell them, When you get the book, just read the captain's corners, skip all the stuff in between. And just there's, I think there's 26 captain's corners and we kind of summarize concepts and we talk to you as a reader with tools that you might use for yourself or use for your team to move you through each of the various stages of change to get the right mindset around change. And then to, um, to kind of help you think about each of the stages of change that we've lined out there for you, the four stages. If they got to talk to me about change um, and they weren't waiting for the book, <laughs> um, then I would say to get your mind, to get your mind ready for change, I would hope you read the book. It was a delightful, it was a delightful thing to write. Um, it is a, change is, will happen to you, which sometimes doesn't feel like, you're involved in it. But the point at which you decide, right? So that's the point at which you decide to do something or realize something is the point at which the change becomes yours. And we are always at choice about that decision. And so even if something happens to you, you can always decide, I want to get involved in this and do something about it. Or you know what, I'm not touching this, I'm going to just be a, a, a bystander or victim or uninvolved party to these things that are going on around me, which is also a choice. <laughs> I would say you you have choices. You can decide. Dr. Krista Phillips, thank you so much for joining me on the Brain and Brand Show.